0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online today as well. Today we are entering into our fourth week of the following questions. And if you remember, we started by asking, Who do you come from? Remembering that we are the people of the story of God's saving work in the world. And then we asked, Who's on your team? remembering that we're called both to bless our teammates in love and then together as the team of Jesus' people to bless the world in his love. Then third, we asked, what's the problem? Remembering that fundamentally it's not a lack of knowledge that can be solved by more rules to follow, and it's not laziness that can be fixed by working harder. The problem is a fundamental brokenness of relationship between God and us and us and each other that the Bible calls sin which means we are unable to do consistently even those things we know are good for us and for the world. So the solution to the problem of broken relationship because of our actions or lack of our action is the action of Jesus on our behalf. Through the cross, Jesus died for our sin, and in his resurrection, he rebooted the whole system of righteousness so it no longer rests on your right actions but on his. That's what it means to have a savior. And so many times, our problem is that we try to take over for Jesus and be the Savior ourselves and then ask him to receive our actions instead. So if you find yourself in a place like that, can you hear hear Jesus ask you, how's that working out for you? (laughs) Are you ready to trade places yet? As long as we think the problem is us, not something enough, we're going to be looking at us for the solution, not to him. But if the problem is we are broken, all we can do is bring what's broken to the one who has the power to heal, restore, and replace with his faithful love over and over and over again. So the life of a disciple is not a life of independence. It's a life of intentional, grateful, joyful dependence on the one who is himself the answer. So our first question was about our identity as the people of God. The second question was about how we engage with each other and the world as the people of God. The third question led us into why it matters for us and the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Why it matters to be the people of God in the world. And today's following question is about discerning what actually forms our personal daily life choices in how we live in the world. Why living this Jesus calling Actually matters for us. Our question today is, what does success look like? And this is an important question because how we define uh, what success is is going to determine what we end up pursuing with our lives. And when we receive the salvation gives us when we call him Savior and we ask this question, what does success look like? What we see in Jesus actually looks a lot different than the ways that success is defined by the world. And honestly, that might be a little bit of a wake-up call. I'd like you to take a moment and bring to mind somebody who you would consider to be successful in life. Why do you feel that way about them? Most of the time, it's because we see they have things like power, prestige, popularity, money, comfort. And I think we define success that way because people who have these things seem to have arrived at the American dream, the pursuit of happiness. I mean, if you have all those things, you must be happy, right? Success, in our definition, tends to look like a life with all the struggle taken out of it. All of the obstacles overcome so you can what? I want you to imagine you have all of those things you could ever want for yourself, and after you've rested and played and eaten to excess, then what? (laughs) There's a reason why so many of the rich and famous end up dying of drug overdoses and reckless choices, because as much as having all those things sounds wonderful when we're struggling, the purpose of life, the meaning of life is not found in our comfort or escape from struggle. The life we were created to live, the life in us that is the reflection of the heart of the relational three-in-one triune God who made us in his image, is a life where we find our joy and our meaning in honoring and lifting up one another. And this often involves struggle on our part to see that blessing come to light for another A life successfully lived as a reflection of the life of the triune God is one in which, through the struggle, we are both blessed and are a blessing over and over again. And that life is not just what's best for the world. It's also what's best for us. And I think one of the best parables to illustrate this is actually Charles Dickens' classic story, A Christmas Carol, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. If you'll remember, in the story, Scrooge is taken to places in his past, present, and future to examine his life, where his choices have led him. And we see with him how poor and lonely and powerless he felt as a kid. And then how in his young adult years, for the first time, he felt a sense of belonging and being mentored by Fezziwig and in relationship with his sweetheart. But then he started to make money. And he allowed the pursuit of power, which he interpreted in money, as a symbol of the ability never to feel powerless again, to become his pursuit of happiness. And in the process, he ended up cutting off all of those people, places, and purposes that had made his life meaningful. Eventually, leaving behind Fezziwig, his fiance, his sister, his nephew, and becoming a tyrant to his workers to hoard more money for himself. And it was only in stepping outside of his life And looking at the trajectory of those choices, that he saw that his life was not actually the kind of success he wanted. Although he actually achieved the kind of success, financial success, that he had been pursuing, it was not actually in any way that mattered a life he found successfully lived. And instead, in observing the poor and humble life of Bob Cratchit and his desire to be a blessing to his family and community, Scrooge saw a different kind of life. And by the end of the story, when Scrooge ended this night of reflection, the choices he made moving forward were different. They reflected a different definition of life successfully lived, one that looked a lot more like the Jesus kind of definition. You see, Jesus calls us to redefine our definition of success because the world's definition of the pursuit of happiness doesn't actually bring us joy. It brings us a constant pursuit of what will never be enough. And Jesus wants something more for us. He wants to place at the center of our lives His joy freely given to us. We are called to live our lives not out of our victories but out of his victory won in us. And that doesn't often look like worldly success. And if it's hard for us to try to adapt our definition of what success is, we're not alone. The first disciples also had a hard time with this. In Mark 10, 35 through 45, two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John, decided that it was high time to take their future into their own hands and approach Jesus with what they thought was something akin to being the CEO and the CFO of Jesus' kingdom pursuing on team Jesus what they thought the next logical step of pursuing success for themselves and verse 35 then James and John the sons of Zebedee came to him teacher they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask <laughs> what do you want me to do for you he asked they replied let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory See, James and John want to be top dogs in the new kingdom, and they want to get in on the ground floor. So they get in there and they ask. But Jesus immediately lets them know his kingdom doesn't work like that. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. And be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus is saying, "Um, you don't really want that. My kingdom is not about power and position. It's about serving and self-sacrifice. Trust me, what you think you're asking for is not what it actually is to be by my side. Because you don't yet understand where I'm going. James and John are looking for success and pursuing worldly definitions of power, prestige, popularity, but in following Jesus, they will soon find that's not what he's pursuing. He's pursuing hearts that need saving. And to find them, he needs not to climb the ranks of power, but to go low, to rescue. And to see this, James and John will need to let go of the pursuit of the world's definition of success To embrace the life they are actually called to live. Because if worldly success is power, prestige, popularity, money, what do we see in Jesus? Power? Yes, Jesus has power to heal, to restore, to provide, but he does not use that power for himself. When the time came that he could have used that power to save himself from the cross, he chose instead to lay it all down. Because Jesus' kingdom is not about power over people. It's about loving even our enemies until they're no longer our enemies. The Jesus kind of power is a power to heal and restore, to show love when our knee-jerk reaction is to hate. That's not the kind of power that James and John were looking for. How about prestige and popularity? Yes, Jesus had these too. He was famous and infamous. People either loved him or hated him. They called him Messiah or charlatan. And the crowds calling Hosanna turned into a crowd calling crucify him. Prestige, popularity with people were not things Jesus ever sought. When the people wanted to make him a king, he walked away. He used no advantage of connections. He leveraged no politics. And it was actually the popularity of the stories of Jesus that made King Herod want to see him to get some entertainment after Jesus' arrest in the garden. And it's what led Pontius Pilate to see Jesus as political leverage for his own gain when he chose to offer him up for crucifixion alongside the choice of freeing Barabbas. Earthly prestige, popularity is the sharpest of double-edged swords. And you've seen it on social media. One moment, a person can be the height of influence and popularity. The very next moment, their name is worse than a curse word. Popular opinion and prestige are shifting sand at best, and the most dangerous of idols at worst. People-pleasing is an insatiable monster, always needing feeding until it turns and consumes you. And that's why The Jesus kind of success very rarely coexists long with prestige and popularity. Sometimes the Jesus way is popular. Most of the time, it's not. (laughs) He is the rock, and popular opinion is the sand. And sometimes sand washes up on the rock, sometimes it drifts out to sea. Don't waste your life chasing the sand. Build on the rock. Let the sands drift where they will. How about money? Sometimes you'll hear people say that if you love the Lord, he'll make you succeed by showering you with money and wealth. And I've never understood where that came from. (laughs) Since neither Jesus nor a single one of Jesus' disciples ever got rich by following him. Hard work is a biblical value, a biblical virtue. But whether or not you get paid well for that hard work never seemed to be the point. It is important to God that people be treated fairly, that no one be cheated out of fair pay for their work. But Jesus never promises earthly riches as part of following him. His promises are about spiritual riches. It's not wrong to make a good salary. Scripture says a worker is worth his wages. But to be clear, in Jesus' kingdom, money has nothing to do with a person's worth. In God's eyes, the worth of the work of a CEO is no different than the worth of the work of a preschool teacher or a bus driver or one of those amazingly fast checkout people at Aldi. (laughs) Money, having it or not, never defines a person's value or how beloved they are by God or says anything about how successfully they are living their lives according to his calling for them. Case in point, The biggest celebration Jesus ever makes in scripture over someone's money is about two copper coins that a poor widow dropped into the offering box at the temple. And in seeing this, Jesus immediately summoned his disciples to pay attention because her action of giving out of the very little that she had was demonstrating that she believed a life successfully lived was not in what she had for herself but in participating with the Lord to be a vehicle of his blessing. And Jesus lifts up with joy the great worth of the heart of that humble disciple. So if having power, prestige, popularity, money are not actually markers of a successful life to Jesus, what is well, after James and John's attempt to secure these sweet spots for themselves, Jesus takes the opportunity to redefine for us what the sweet spot is for one following him, Mark ten forty one, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. "'Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. "'And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. "'For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, "'but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.'" See, Jesus could have chosen to take for himself all of those things that would make for earthly success. He had everything he needed at his disposal to make it all happen. But he didn't come to pursue anything for himself. He came to pursue us. And in the process of doing so, he chose to do what humankind does not, to lay all those things down for what matters more for you. Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have you ever made the choice to give up something for yourself for the sake of someone you love? That takes true strength. And it's often a sacrifice unseen by the world, but God sees it. And he rejoices in the kind of love that reflects his own heart like Jesus glorified in the humble act of the widow. You see, in God's kingdom, glory is not something pursued or achieved. It's something given, joyfully bestowed by the Father. In loving selflessly, Jesus saves the selfish. And then God the Father bestows this glory, revealing to all the cosmos that this servant of all is Lord of all, and his kingdom will never end. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This response to Jesus' self-sacrificial love is God the Father saying, that's my boy. This is what success looks like. The love that lifts up and is lifted up. And that kind of love can be lived through the power and prestige of a CEO who makes decisions that bless all the workers at the company to receive the benefits they need to care for their families. Or the preschool teacher who helps a child see their potential and grow with confidence to become a person of blessing. Or the grocery store worker who offers undeserved grace in the face of the grumpiness of a customer who has, that has nothing at all to do with them, choosing instead to be a blessing in servant-hearted love. The blessed who become vehicles of blessing wherever we're planted through the one who first loved us, reflecting Jesus' love into the world. So today, I want you to seriously ask yourself this question. How do I define success for myself? What would I consider a successful life? Because how you define what success is will determine the choices that you make, what your life will pursue, how you spend your time, your energy, your resources. It's time to ask, like Ebenezer Scrooge, is what you're pursuing with your life actually life? Are you trying to pursue happiness, the quest for enough that never ends? Or has knowing Jesus changed your idea of what a successfully lived life looks like? And I think this is an important question for us to ask and re-ask ourselves all through our lifetimes, because in different seasons, different things are going to enter into that definition. When I was in school as a kid, I put so much pressure on myself to be an A student, The stress I would go through over and over again, trying to get those perfect grades. I look back now, and I really wish I could talk to my younger self and say, hey, just focus on learning this stuff. You like to learn, and you will use the stuff that you learned. But in my 20 years as a pastor, no one has ever asked me what my GPA was. (laughs) And no one has ever questioned the B-minus I got in gym class. At the time, my work, that work, was my whole world. My whole identity was wrapped up in it. And yet it was the work that Jesus was doing in me even then that actually formed what mattered for me in the long haul. I wish I could have told myself that. Jesus directs us to a different definition of success because he loves us. And because he knows us, and he knows we can either drive ourselves crazy pursuing perfection and thinking it will someday deliver happiness, or we can live our lives right now where we are, out of the joy that comes from knowing we are already loved and saved and covered by something more we could ever accomplish or achieve by our own power, that he is drawing us into a life that is more And that is true, and it will be true, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're powerful or popular or not, whether on the top achiever or we don't make the charts of the world's measures. In Jesus' deep affection and his saving love for us, all who call him Lord are already successfully secured and their eternal value purchased by his saving grace. So we're free here and now to live out of the joy of his success for our sake. So we can share that joy with the anxiety-bound, hectic, earthly success-pursuing Scrooges around us. Because, beloved, in his love, you're already more than you think. And in him, we're invited into more than we can ever imagine. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we ask this question of ourselves this week, what does success look like? Will you please teach us to see success in life the way you do? Teach us how to hold the ups and the downs of our earthly successes in life loosely as gifts to be used or things to be released while we find our hope and our joy and our anchor in what you have successfully given us in your grace. Teach us to live each day giving its successes over to you and trusting you for each step that we take knowing that you have already successfully called us yours. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.